welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Today's guest is Steve Murray, the sixth archivist of the state of Alabama. I'm also joined by Georgia Ann Connor, who is the communications officer here at the Department of Archives and History. Hi, Marty. It's good to be here. Thank you for being with us, Georgia Ann. Steve, you have been on the job almost exactly a year. How's it going? It's going great. It has been an exciting year. It's hard to believe that almost a full year has passed. It seems like a matter of weeks, and it's almost been a full 12 months. But I think things are going quite well. It's an exciting time to be here in the life and the history of the department because of some changes that are going on and some things that we hope to be doing in the future. I recently have become more aware of how much we fit into a national trend right now. I was recently at a meeting of state archivists. There were 12 new state archivists appointed in the past year across the country. If you look at that percentage of 50 across the entire state, there's a remarkable change happening in our peer institutions across the country, and it's an exciting time here locally and within the profession to look at some of the changes happening in leadership and generational shifts. Where do we fit in the types of programs that you have coming forward? It's a point of pride for us, Marty, as you know, that we were the first state archival and historical agency in the country uh, structured the way that we are, which is as an independent agency with broad responsibilities for collecting and preserving and interpreting the history of our state. Back in 1901, we were created, and the legislation that created our agency was used as a model in several other states. We are a little bit different from many in the sense that we have three different functions under one roof here. We are the official repository for state records. We are also a special collections library in that we collect manuscripts, photos, uh, the personal papers of private citizens that have donated those to us over the years. And, of course, we're also the State History Museum. Not every state archive is structured that way. Many are repository of government records. Others are configured administratively in different parts of state government. But certainly the way that we are configured, we believe, is the strength of our agency. And it brings together a mix of types of materials that allow us to tell Alabama's story in a particularly powerful way. So when you look across the country as a whole, our peer institutions are, in some cases, looking at some of the same types of issues that we are, working on museum projects and other things. I think things probably most uniformly true about state archives across the country is that we are all wrestling with the issue of electronic records. That is something that is very much going to be in the forefront of our efforts here really are starting a few years ago. I mean, we've been working on electronic records here for, for years now, so it's not anything that's new for us. But I think across the country you see that we are about to approach a critical period of development when technology and theory and practice come together in a way that prepares public archives of all types to be better custodians of records that are either digitized or are born digital. You can look at the programs at any of these national conferences and see what a significant concern that is for institutions like ours across the whole country. 
Steve, will the State Archives provide leadership to manuscript repositories? Absolutely. Whatever we are able to put into practice here, we want to make available as a resource to public and private institutions around the state. That's fully within the scope of our mission, which is to be a resource and to provide information and, in some cases, training to other entities. Again, that's true across the board in terms of caring for public records, private records, museum collections. One of the things I would like to do more of is to be seen as a statewide resource, and we can do that in multiple ways by either proactively going out and providing uh, outreach and training to institutions across the state or by building a more robust library of resources here on our website. One example of that is, is Alabama Mosaic statewide project that's been in place for years. It started through a collaboration of our agency, several of the university libraries in the state, and some of the larger public libraries. Auburn University has played a leading role in that. We are taking on more of a role in that we are about to begin hosting not just digital assets that come from our collections, but also digital assets belonging to smaller repositories and historical societies around the state so that county historical societies or small public libraries that don't have the ability to develop their own online program providing access to photograph collections or digitized textual materials, we can help them by providing some storage space and access to the software that they need to become partners in this statewide initiative. Mosaic is a fantastic resource. It is a statewide site that allows anyone to go online and do a search of collections from across the state. So you get fantastic photographs. In some cases, there are textual materials. Uh, what that allows us to do is really to dig down into the community histories of the state and to, and to learn more about the lives of people who lived all across Alabama throughout its history. What we want to do as the State Archives is to be a facilitator so that more local communities and organizations can be participants in that program. We've got the resources to do that in terms of the technology and the software licenses that are needed, and that's something that we're actually ramping up here very quickly uh, with some additional staff resources. Is the State Archives amenable to partnerships with the Alabama Historical Association, the Museum Association, the Archival Associations, to provide training and assistance to local associations in moving toward Alabama Mosaic? Absolutely. And as you know, the AHA has done some work in this area already, providing a workshop in advance of its annual meeting last year. Those are exactly the types of networks that we want to plug into and partner with AHA, the Society of Alabama Archivists, other groups who can help us to make contact with local entities that may want to be participants. It's one of the great things about the historical community in this state. You know, we have done remarkable things with incredibly limited resources. One result is that all of us who are members of and represent various organizations have chosen a very collaborative approach to accomplishing these things, and we all work well together, and it's a very simple thing to find a good idea and then find easily a half a dozen groups who want to see how can we make this work together. Steve? ADAH and you in particular have been shepherding a new museum project. Uh, tell us about that. We have been a destination since we were created in 1901 for citizens to come have a first-hand experience with a fantastic artifact collection that now numbers nearly a half a million objects. 
What's new about what we're doing is that we have undertaken a completely new presentation of those collections in newly designed permanent exhibitions that are under construction right now. We actually began this with an initial phase that opened in 2011. I hope your listeners who haven't seen that will come to see it soon. It included two galleries, one called The Land of Alabama, about our physiographic characteristics and regions. It's about the natural history of the state, the natural resources that have shaped Alabama history by bringing people here for 14,000 years and influencing the decisions that they made about where to settle, how to make their living, and how they got along with each other. It's a beautiful small exhibit devoted to the state's geology and geography. The second of those that opened in 2011 is called The First Alabamians. It's a permanent exhibit on Native Americans from prehistory up until 1700. We talk about that progression of a society through the Paleo period, Archaic period, the Woodland period, and then, of course, what is really the high water mark of Native American history in this part of North America, the Mississippian period, which was a 500-year window when Native American society just flourished with the advantage of a very stable food supply. They developed a society that was enriched with artisanry, religion, symbolism, with ceremonies, sophisticated social structures and economic structures. I think we tell that story in a very beautiful way. That period concludes about the time that Hernando de Soto comes through Alabama in 1540. The Mississippian period was already starting to change, and archaeologists tell us that there was already some decline underway when de Soto came through this part of the world. But what we know for sure is that that process accelerates after de Soto's explorations introduced disease and warfare that was so detrimental to the native population. And we talk a little bit about what happens in that 200-year window after DeSoto's passed through when Native American society is really reorganizing itself at a very local level based on town identities and language groups rather than this pan-southeastern society that had been homogenous to a certain degree during this 500-year period of the Mississippian society. That gallery leaves off in 1700, just before the Europeans established the first permanent colony in Mobile in what would become Alabama. The day after that first phase opened in 2011, we started accelerating planning for the second phase, which is currently under construction, and it is going to be a magnificent telling of the story of Alabama history over 300 years from 1700 to essentially the present. This is a project that's been made possible by the work of incredibly resourceful staff here in our agency. We have pulled people from every corner of the archives who have expertise in maps and records and artifacts and media in consultation with a fantastic team of historians and archaeologists and folklorists have developed what I think is going to be a particularly powerful story about all of the conflict, the cooperation, the challenges, and the successes that really shaped our state over the past 300 years. The planning has been an intensive process. We have really tried to make sure that we got everything as right as we could and making the best use possible of the resources that we have, which go back to that strength that I was discussing earlier about the fact that we have public records, private records, and museum collections here. We're able to combine those different types of materials, I think, in some very powerful storytelling. So the, the planning was an important part of that process. Equally important was the fundraising. This is a project that is being paid for with $7 million that we have been able to raise in private donations through the generosity of citizens all across the state in gifts, both large and small. What I like about that is that it, there's a real sense of public buy-in to what we're doing here. 
this museum belongs to the people of the state of Alabama, and we think that we're going to be able to allow them to enjoy it in a very enriching and educational way. We are in the midst of construction right now, anticipating wrapping that up by the end of this calendar year and look forward to announcing soon some plans for a terrific grand opening celebration early in 2014. I assume there's going to be a fair amount of interactivity available with the larger exhibit. Is that true? That's true. That will be both in analog and digital forms. We'll have hands-on interactives that will allow you to discover more information about a particular topic or an artifact, perhaps. We also have 22 fantastic audiovisual programs that have been developed for this project. We're working with a team from Louisville, Kentucky, Donna Lawrence Productions and another company called Video Bread, who have done installations of AV materials at some of the biggest museums in the country, the U.S. Capitol Visitor Center, the National World War I Museum in Kansas City. Fantastic things. They are really talented storytellers, and when you combine their talent for the medium with these fantastic stories and resources that we have here, it makes for truly powerful presentations. And these take the form, in some cases, of short films that are several are about six minutes long. There's one that's a little bit longer than that. There are video albums, which are essentially opportunities for us to showcase the fantastic photograph and other image collections that we have. There are touchscreen interactives where you'll be able to really dig down into the history of a particular subject. You know, that's a, certainly a medium and a technology that our younger visitors especially are innately familiar with and really expect to find any type of cultural activity. So we're trying to address those expectations for the broad scope of our audience. We think that everyone's going to find something that they can really appreciate. Do you see in the future changing the content of the interactive components that you've just described? You know, absolutely. That's one of the advantages of working in that medium is that you've got the ability to come back and tweak, to modify, to improve. For example, one of these interactives is a large touchscreen display with a map of the state. That interactive is going to be all about the changes that took place in Alabama between 1950 and 2010. Looking at things like demographics, occupations, where people live, how they get around, what the economy is like, what agriculture is like in the state, it's going to be a really rich, immersive experience. It is based on an idea that we've applied throughout that maps are very powerful tools for understanding place and history. You're going to find in the exhibit quite a few of those that are traditional print maps. In some cases, they've been enhanced to help convey a particular point. But we've also built in the capacity to come back later and install additional of these interactive maps, which I think would be something fantastic for us to work toward so that the visitor is able to dig down to see some more detailed information that he or she is especially interested in and to manipulate the way that data is represented on the screen. In an age of iPads and other types of interactive technology, it's really something that is first nature, especially to young people, but even some of our senior visitors, you know, are going to be quite adept at this and feel very comfortable using this technology. Tell us about the intermediate goals that you have for the archives once this museum project is nearing completion, and then what are your long-term goals? Well, certainly completing this project is at the top of our list. Beyond that, building the exhibit is really just the first step. What we want to do in tandem is to raise the visibility of our institution in the state. A lot of people have worked hard to make this possible. We want to let as many people as possible know that we're here so they can come and enjoy this. 
That means both bringing people here, both school groups and tourists who happen to be passing through town on 65 or 85, but also taking the content and the message of this out to people who may not be able to get here. And technology is going to allow us to do that through virtual tours, perhaps through some mobile technology and apps that would allow us to both enrich the visitor experience while they're here on site, but also be able to experience some of this if they can't get to Montgomery. That whole effort is part of a larger push that we're going to be making in marketing and awareness among the public to make sure that they know that we're here. An important component of that is working in social media. Let Georgianne speak a little bit about some of the things that we're doing to increase our visibility there. Thank you for joining us, Georgianne. Sure. Well, it is such an exciting time right now to be joining the staff, and social media is such a powerful marketing tool and a powerful way to encourage people to connect. And so we have really made a big push through our Facebook page where we share you know, updates about what's going on here, but also just um, images and artifacts from our collections and just to get people excited and interested and curious about what's here. Also through Twitter, Instagram, every day social media is changing. So we're trying to stay current and get some interest, especially younger people, get them excited about what we have here and anxious to come and discover more. Right now, listeners can access you through Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, as well as the web pages. Are there any other ways of hooking up with y'all on social media? Yes, we also have a YouTube page, which we have our monthly Architreats Lunchtime Lecture Series. All of those videos are available there, also many other videos and other lectures, and so that's a great page to check out and a great educational tool as well. Thank you very much for speaking with us about that. Uh, Marty, looking then toward the midterm, after opening the museum, promoted it, made sure that everybody knows what a resource we have here and that it belongs to them, uh, we want to continue the mission of this agency as it's been undertaken for over a century now and being an, an active collector of the state's history. We've gone through periods of very active collecting sometimes, and that's how we've amassed these fantastic collections. We want to be very mindful of the fact that that's an ongoing process. In fact, it's one of kind of the concluding messages that we make in the new museum exhibit, which is called Alabama Voices, this 300-year exhibition. We make the point in the final section of Alabama Voices that history is an ongoing process. Our understanding of history continues to improve. Our documentation of history continues to improve. But we have to be very active about doing that. Uh, sometimes some fantastic things fall on our lap, but many more things around the state are important parts of tremendous changes that we're seeing in our state's economy and its population, and we have a responsibility to collect materials that will allow us to tell that story to future generations so that they can understand what it was like in Alabama in the early 21st century and what it was like to be living through all these changes that we're witnessing currently. So a robust acquisitions program is certainly on our list of priorities. What goes hand-in-hand hand with that is improving our access. The website is part of that, and we are starting the preliminary steps of revamping our website. We're starting with the museum pages because that's what we want to be able to use in the short term to make people aware of the new galleries here. But we want to go further and revamp a fantastically rich website. And I hope the listeners will have an opportunity to go spend some time on our website at www.archives.alabama.gov. We have a steadily increasing number of collections and materials that are available online today. We want to make it a little more user-friendly to access those materials, make it more visually appealing, 
and put it more in line with what tech-savvy users are accustomed to seeing in a well-designed website. That is going to become only more important to us for getting our collections on the desktops and on the mobile devices of the people of the state, but also being able to do outreach to constituent groups that are very important to us, including education especially. Other things that we want to work on are that, that very big electronic records issue that I was talking about. We've been working on that for a few years now. It's such a difficult problem because so many types of records are being created electronically today in databases, email systems, in specialized programs like GIS, other services that various agencies provide to the public. Many of those are being created in proprietary systems that are designed for a specific client to perform a specific job, and they run on a specific type of hardware sometimes. The, the challenge that that poses for the future is being able to preserve those electronic records in a way that we can access them in the future. Anybody who has a three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk or a, even some early versions of auxiliary hard drive knows that if you let that sit on the shelf for a few years, you don't have the hardware to run it. That's true both in the physical sense of the medium on which electronic records are stored, but also in the digital realm. They're all ones and zeros put together. That's what an electronic record is. But you need to be able to crack that code and have the software to be able to read what those records say. That's the real challenge moving forward, and that's what every state and corporation and the national government and local governments are all trying to do in a way. We're, I think we're more mindful of the long-term need for that than other organizations are. That's what archivists think about is being able to provide for the long-term access of these records. So we're going to be working with and, and thinking with and talking with other states, with other archives within Alabama about the best way to approach that issue. There's some really fascinating ideas that are floating around out there. There's been experiments kind of underway for, for several years. But we know what we need to do. It's a matter of finding the best way to accomplish that. We are best serving the state of Alabama if we make sure that 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 200 years from now, researchers are able to come back and find the information in records created in the early 21st century that we're able to go back in a relatively simple fashion and find in the printed records of the early 1800s or the 1700s. So that is going to be an important project for us and one that's going to be ongoing for a good long while. And it's really something that will never end because there's always going to be a new type of challenge to be faced in the realm of electronic records. And I appreciate you all working on this. Marty, you made a good point earlier that we live in a fairly small world in the historical and cultural resources community in our state, and we have had a very positive, long-standing relationship with the AHA. That's changed a little bit in the past year or so. For so many years, at least one or two of the officers happen to be members of the staff here at this agency. We have other partners in the state who are doing great work helping to provide leadership and service to the AHA, but by no means does that mean that we have any lessened interest in the success of the Alabama Historical Association and look forward to very long, continued, healthy partnership. Well, Steve, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, George Ann. Thank you, Marty, and thank you for making this fantastic podcast series available to members of the association and the public. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. 
Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.